This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by Games You Deserve, a podcast about all of our favorite video games presented by Special Reserve Games. The first episode drops April 12th everywhere you listen to podcasts. Attention, citizens, it's time for Super Pope Science. This is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I am here with Justin Curry, also known as Chasing Artwork, a new art vagabond hunted by DeviantArt. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, and our producer, Dan Vadabonker. Um Guys, we won't dwell on it, but there's a few changes going on in the world. Number one, no fan quest. Yeah, we were kind of forced to cancel it. It was going to be, I mean, everyone could kind of see the writing on the wall anyway, but we made it official this this past week that uh, we have to postpone and or reschedule our event. Basically, every show right now is either postponed or canceled. Uh, yeah. And uh, Diamond Comics Distributors is closed, so the worldwide comics distributor... Uh, took in three weeks worth of books, but then didn't ship them out, closed, and then announced that they may uh, close due to financial difficulties. Oh, permanently? So we're talking about the potential Armageddon in comic book distribution. Uh, not to be... Um, uh, Wouldn't that be, uh, like, is that necessarily a bad thing? Like, were they a well-run company? That no, they like, sure weren't. If you were anything okay, there you but go. Marvel or DC... <laughs> Uh, you didn't get the best. In fact, when we released uh, Infinitum, they sent it back to us. They did carry it at, after all, but um, they originally didn't want to classify it as a graphic novel because they said it had too many words. Right. <laughs> so, like, that's the kind of comics distribution we're talking about. Um, yeah, I can't, like, I don't have much experience with them, but just from the rumblings at... at comic-cons from different artists i didn't get the sense that many people liked that they were the the option that you had to go with and back in my misspent youth uh i was a manager of a comic store and then i owned my own um uh so we dealt with diamonds all the time they were not great mm. to work with but they were the only game in town mm. um and often you would if it was a hot book um, they would limit your orders. They would say, oh, I know you ordered 40, and I know you paid for 40 of those, or maybe 100 of those, or whatever, but we only sent you 20, sorry. Uh, we credited you um, on the next book from that title series, which isn't the one I wanted. Oh. Not the so one you I can't ordered. even get like more of what you ordered. You're, right. You're getting the next best thing. Yeah, that's how they would often mm. do And then, so you'd have to raise a ruckus in order to get it done properly and if you were just a smaller story like you know we're not some giant national account um just imagine how much priority you got mm. right uh so i am not too upset about that even though it's like really in the short term going to be really hard on comics creators if that happens i don't think it will they're well positioned i'm sure they can get all kinds of bridge loaning if they need to. Maybe a good idea to shuffle things up. And... Yeah, a good. And also, yeah. uh, actually, I just now, well, that's so funny. I just now received a message from somebody, uh, a report from Comic Book Resources that says, publishers develop temporary distribution solutions via Comic Hub. Uh, lots of the comic folks I know have been chattering with me about 
what this effect will be. And we had all more or less predicted that publishers aren't going to sit around waiting for someone else to solve their problems. So it looks like that is, in fact, what happened. So more on that later. So the world is different now, but, uh, you know, people are still going to make things and going to put them out. And that's what we're doing. You are uh, on this April 1st, Justin, wanted by the uh, committee that runs DeviantArt. Did you know that? <laughs> yeah, I thought that was uh, that was well done, their little April Fool's thing. Dear listener, um, on the front page of DeviantArt is a list of artists who have violated the terms and services of this character called Hoofs. Which Hoofs, is like the, the band character. <laughs> So the April Fool's joke on DeviantArt is that they've banned art related to this weird, I don't even know what the hell he's supposed to be, a unicorn? So it's its a unicorn with a big mustache and a mane and human, his front hooves are human hands and his back hooves are bananas. And it's this creepy and weird, and there's a snail hanging out with him. He's got a snail buddy and he has wings as well. So exactly what you're imagining, that's pretty much what it looks like. It's not a very it, coherent It sounds design. like lyrics from a Tom Waits song. His front feet are human. <laughs> his back feet are bananas. Potassium. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So uh, what I was so pleased about by that was that the art community is still having a laugh. Out in the world, you got to be part of it. How did? Why don't you tell the dear listener how you got to be internet famous again? Um, even I reached out to a bunch of kind of established artists in their community, and I was included in that, and uh, commissioned us to draw this band character that they're going to be revealing on April first. So as soon as April first hit, we had like there was about two dozen artists had these scheduled posts. So. The second midnight hit, my artwork went live. I'd set it up a couple of weeks ago. They were really on top of this. So this artwork pops up and they put up this big journal saying like, don't submit this character. This character is banned. These artists have broken the rules. And it was, uh, yeah, just this big gallery of a bunch of fairly talented artists drawing this completely stupid inane character. And then a lot of people weren't like, uh, a lot of people weren't understanding what was going on. They're like, I don't get it. Who is this? Why is this banned? It was great. Like I've been participating on the DeviantArt site since like 20, 2009, 2010. Like I've, I've been kind of putting my artwork up there and, and, and using the site for, for quite a while and managed to gain a fair following. Um, it's, it's a big online community of, of artwork. So I have a, pretty good following there like i would say it was kind of the the go-to for artists and now would you say what art station might be the new it's hard to know let's for the sake of the dear listener that maybe doesn't know what we're talking about why don't you tell them what deviantart is deviantart is a um uh our a community that's um, geared towards posting your artwork and finding other artists, like-minded artists. It's where artists go create accounts and they post our artwork and get feedback and comment on, on other artwork and stuff like that. So it's just a, it's a huge, huge community, like millions of users. Um, and anywhere from, you know, people drawing with crayons to people who work in the movies and film and games, like it's, a huge range. So you can go there and post your portfolio. You can find 
jobs. You can comment on the newest stuff. And that was kind of like my first, like this is kind of pre-Facebook, pre-Instagram. Um, I was starting out and I didn't really know how to get a following. I wanted more people commenting on my stuff and seeing my stuff. I didn't quite understand how it all worked. And then I started to realize the more you participate in the community, the more feedback and eyes you get on your own thing. So that means not just posting your own thing and sitting back and waiting for people to find it, but you have to kind of go find like-minded artists and um, engage with them and comment on what they're doing and look into that and, and like, you know, create a rapport in the community. And then it starts to kind of feedback into your stuff. So you can't just create an account and get famous overnight. It was, you know, there's some groundwork that has to be put in there. You mean you have to participate in a community in order to get something out of it? Yeah. What a weird idea, (laughs) Justin. (laughs) It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty, yeah, pretty out there idea. But that's, that's kind of where I I figured that out. And it's kind of, it serves me well when starting on a new platform. Like, uh, yeah, and there's, you know, there's new platforms popping up every day. Tomorrow, there might be a new one. And some people are going to be able to migrate their followers from other sites onto that new platform. But a lot of people are going to have to spend some time, you know, participating in the community before, uh, before you get big. I don't know. It sounds crazy. This whole participation yeah. in the community, Dan, I like your hoofs piece, uh, Justin. <laughs> um, I just was looking at it and looking at all the different hoofs. And, and I think one of the biggest issues for me is like, what's the plural of hoof? Is it hoofs or hooves? Hooves. <laughs> I think so it's I the, somebody pointed that out in actually one of these pieces. I think it behooves <laughs> you to look up the correct answer. Uh, it's hooves with a V, with a V. But uh, that's uh, you know that doesn't stop people from posting about hoofs. Dan, you left my dad joke just you just glossed right over it. Oh, sorry. Uh huh. Behooves you. That's like in, trapped in my house. A material. I'm in the Fight Club. And it's the first rule of Fight Club. Don't talk about Fight Club. So you're, you're not in the Fight Club. You're out of it. You can see the movie. I'm sure it's a funny joke, but I didn't see it. So I spent all last week uh, working with uh, Jillian Horton on a five-page, really it was four pages and a title page um, uh, comic, all about doctors on the front line or dealing with uh, the COVID crisis. It's not what I uh, imagined I would do with my time, but it has been interesting to participate, to literally join the fight uh, and make comics about what's going on in the world. Um, in particular, what's been interesting about it is that uh, it is about specific people. So I have to do likenesses, which is uh, always a trick. Making up a face that looks good in comics is very different than making up somebody else's face and having it look good in comics. So uh been dealing with that uh the thing i thought i was gonna have to do on the baby metal book which was do likenesses i never had to do uh (laughs) instead um uh, i've been doing it working with doctors so we have another one of those lined up for next week to work on uh shout out to uh lyndon rachanko who uh came on to be a sudden and a very uh flexible letterer on that project he just sort of came in at the very last second when i said ah to meet the deadline i can't letter it also and he has uh, pivoted on all of our changes. He's been great. Uh, full disclosure, Lyndon also works on the FanQuest stuff with Dan. Yep. Uh, he is a... Uh, I've, got, uh, I've got his book right here. Uh, where is it? 
somewhere. And he and Stephen Call did Infinite Universe, and yeah, they've got it. a couple other here. comic projects on the go right really now. Really cool book. Uh, Lyndon's got a new yeah, they've book. got some new ones coming out. They were they were planning to launch one at FanQuest. Yeah, they have a few to launch. Hero Man, I know, is coming up real soon. We'll have to get him on to talk about that. Yep. Um, so it's uh, been a really interesting, but it strained my relationship with with Justin. I have to say. Because I kept oh. texting him, <laughs> texting him hospital illustrations, and uh, so he was he was very his feedback was nice and pleasant. And then at a certain point, he said, "Okay, start sending me nice, uplifting things from now on." <laughs> he capped out on depressing world issue texts, and I'd had enough. So <laughs> he had enough. He set his boundaries, set his limits, and I think that's important in this. Uh, <laughs> time that you have to know what your limit is so that was good so i immediately started texting him some images of a daredevil project that i'm working on with no permission whatsoever this is important to say so uh uh to fill the wee hours of the morning when i'm having trouble sleeping right now i have been working on this uh daredevil versus the owl story that i've always wanted to make um and a and a collaborator of mine um from Z2 Comics, Sridhar, shout out to him. He and I started talking about this at New York Comic-Con uh, way back. And when we got into quarantine zone, he said, maybe this is time to put that pitch together. So we started doing it, not because we have a great chance right now of getting it made, but because it's really important to just do things because it's fun right now. Also, I love the idea of um, you doing it as a free giveaway with something else. You ran into another artist at New York Comic-Con. Yeah, Daniel Warwick Johnson does that with these yeah. Star Wars books. He does these bootleg oh my Star God, Wars comics. amazing. Best Star Wars comic you ever read, Dan, ever in your life. Well, does and it work for Disney or Lucas? Like, he's he's right in there. I don't know if he did. I think What's those his are name? What's his name? Uh, Daniel Warwick Johnson. He's working on a book for DC right now, um, Dead Earth. It's a Wonder Woman story. He writes and illustrates typically. And so when I asked him what's the deal with these Star Wars books, he says, um, well, you can't buy them, but I'm accepting donations. And then right. I give them to you as a reward. <laughs> or if you buy any of these other things on the table, you can have one. I'm like, but you only have these. He's like, yeah, funny. So, <laughs> so Which I, um, I kind of love. Yeah, I love so that. I gave him a tip for being a great guy. And I got these... Uh, the most incredible Star Wars books I've read. Um, wow. And this like bootleg idea, it's not the first time I've seen it. There was a guy I knew, I can't think of his name now, but he had drawn his own version of, um, oh, what was the name of that movie? It starred uh, Strider, what's his name? Viggo Mortensen. And then he's like in the diner and then these like mobsters come in and then it turns out that he's not just a regular diner guy, he's like a super killer. What the oh, history, uh, of history of violence. History of violence. He had redrawn his own graphic time. novel version <laughs> of a history of violence. And so he had it on his table. And I was like, what's this? And he's like, it's a history of violence. I'm like, okay, I'll buy this. This looks amazing. He's like, no, you can't buy it. It's free if you buy this other book of mine because he couldn't sell it. So he used it as an incentive. And I'm sure all the lawyers out there who are listening, including you, Lyndon, are like, wait, that's not... That's for sure still not legal. Who knows? Is that it's, not a bulletproof vest? Come on. Yeah. It's uh it's a super we, we beat the system. It's a super gray area. What was the most funny about uh about those Star Wars books is that in the program for New York Comic Con, 
in their description of him, the organizers of the show were like, and if you haven't seen his bootleg Star Wars books, get down there and buy them. <laughs> so it's really, who knows what's going on. Are there, uh, do you have any stories of somebody doing a, a fan comic of, you know, Batman or Spider-Man or whatever, and that was their in for uh, yeah, for yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's his name? Frankavilla. He does uh, Black Beetle for Dark Horse and a bunch of other things. He does covers for every bloody story. But apparently, he did this Ashcan just for fun Black Panther book, and that got him working with Marvel to nice. begin with. Well, like, isn't that the submission for some of the comic book companies? Like, you want to work for DC, do six pages of Batman. Well, uh, we probably won't get you on Batman, but we'll get you on something else. So here's the thing. What is, you know, it's like we've said before, we've talked to editors at both companies that have said, you know, we don't have the imagination you think we do. Show us what you mean. Right. Right. So to me, that's how I'm looking at this is it's a portfolio building piece that allows me to say, if you give me your properties, I can make them in my style. And yeah. so why would I, would I just do what someone asked me to do? No, I'm picking the character that I like most from comics, uh, Daredevil from uh, the 80s, early 90s run of Daredevil. And one of my, the most underappreciated Daredevil villains, the most poorly used, in my opinion, the Owl. He could be so amazing. And we're going to make him so amazing and scary. And it's going to be a great <laughs> little story. Uh, and nice. what's it for? At the, at the worst, it's practice. At best, it's a resume. Um, if the world ends, I'll at least have made my Daredevil book I always wanted to make. So it's a bucket list <laughs> thing, too. That light at the end of the tunnel, guess what? That's not heaven. I'm good, I'm good. That's the sea train. Yeah, and you've been working on your muse paintings. Yeah, I've got, uh, well, I've been basically drawing a lot of clouds and rocks for Dragon Nanny. And plopping in the middle of all this element building. Um, I've been putting these huge stone temples um, that are shaped like they're the women's statues. And uh, so I'm coming up with kind of the lore of them all. And there are these massive temples kind of set in a fantasy world that come during certain, certain circumstances. So the one is summoned by uh, a sheet of music that if it's played, she appears and brings a storm. There's another one that appears if you're facing unsurmountable odds, she'll give you a weapon that you need to defeat your enemies. Um, and there's another that's, um, she's summoned by hunger, but the, they're all kind of like tools. So they can be, they can be misused kind of thing. One of those, like it could be a gift. It could be a curse kind of depending on the person who, uh, yeah, who wields it. Every tool so, is a weapon if you hold it right. Right. Yeah. I think I'm quoting so, Annie DeFranco there, so sorry, <laughs> 90s music lovers. So I've been doing that, and I have been catching up on some video games, which has been kind of nice. Uh, I found it was it was kind of tricky to get back into gaming. It's like it's almost like when you stop reading novels for a while. When you go back to reading novels, you find like you're like it just takes a while to kind of get back into the rhythm of it. For sure, yeah. Um, or like drawing too, right? Like if you stop drawing for a month or two and then you get back to it, you find like you're pretty rusty. And I definitely found that with video games. I, uh, I picked up the new Resident Evil 2. Uh, re they, uh, they redid it with uh, updated graphics. Mm. And it was an amazing game, but like the, the first couple hours were really uh, trying. Like I just was not in a video game playing mode. But then I got into it. And so I beat that game and then I went back and I played 
The Last Guardian. Um, it was a game for PS4, and it's a very beautiful game. It's like kind of a painterly style, and it's a puzzle game where you play as this little little kid, and you've got this huge giant dog hawk thing, this huge monster. Would you say there's is, like uh, you're a little kid with a huge silent guardian? Exactly. Very much. Yeah. <laughs> similar to our story. But you're stuck in this massive temple. And so it's you and this huge dog basically trying to solve puzzles and make your way out of the temple. And uh, the ending, like I, I started playing it years ago and I just couldn't get into it and I stopped. And so in the last couple of days, I just sat down and I binged the entire thing in like two and a half days. And it was amazing. I don't know why more people don't talk about that game with Crazy. You know why people um, don't talk about games like that? They're thoughtful. They're thought- yeah, it was thoughtful you, games. Don't light the world on fire. Unfortunately, a lot of it is you trying to direct the the big. You can't control the the huge dog. Um, you can only give it suggestions, and you can kind of point it and try to make it do things. And it's got a mind of its own, so sometimes it's very frustrating because it won't do what you want it to do. Um, <laughs> I think that's, you know, like nobody's doing speed runs of this game because Trico, the, the, the guardian is gonna go look at a rock for five minutes and then roll in the water. And like, it, it acts like a real animal. Uh, one of those metal gear solids that had the like realistic healing system where like you had to disinfect right. the wound and then stitch it up and then, Oh God, it was so, it actually was annoying. <laughs> like if you got shot, it ruined your whole evening. Well, that, that's what happens in real life, Greg. No, I get it, but that's not shot, why. I, it's, not good. it's not why I play a video game, right? You're supposed to be a. You want to, you want uh, the what's the thing they chug in uh, in Fortnite? That blue uh, chug jug. The, the, you just want the healing juice. Well, really, video games are supposed to be our chug jugs, aren't they? The thing that fixes yes. us for a short time so that we can go on and do other things. Right? Have you guys ever played Hollow Knight? Whoa! Yes. Everybody's talking about it. Such a good game. My kids are playing Hollow Knight right now. I get the benefit of not having to play it uh, and just watch it and read along with it. It's such a great story game. It's like Castlevania plus Mario plus like Tim Burton plus... Yeah, the the art style is very Tim Burton-like. Plus like Um, angsty 17-year-old poetry. It's very, very like the, st- the style of it is amazing. The music is amazing, and, and is it a uh, platformer. It's a yeah, size platformer. Yeah. yeah, and it's like this world. Of, you're underground in this world of insects or something, and they've all become infected with this thing, and you have to kind of fight them off. And it's just so much fun to. And again, my my son's playing it as well, and I just watch him play it, and he's like getting. I mean, he gets so frustrated when he can't beat the boss, and I feel I feel for him because I've been there. You know, you get really try that boss like three times and you can't can't quite beat him it goes back to uh you know i'm watching my kids play it and really enjoying it because it's been a long time since games were popular that had pattern bosses yeah right like i'm watching them figure it out i'm like oh you just have to learn the pattern right which is how we all had to do video games back in the day and now like cuphead that recent one that was all about pattern uh memorization yeah, apparently that, that game was... is so hard, though. It's yeah. very hard, yeah. Yeah. Um, I heard that uh, the new Ori in the Blind Forest, Ori in the, the Willow of the Wisps, I think, uh, is very similar to Hollow Knight, but not as punishing. Might be another one to check out. Yeah, it might sure. be another one. I missed. I never miss. 
What is your daily routine now, Justin? Oh, like it's a little all over the place because I'm still coming to the studio. Is anyone and, in that building? Uh, I haven't been to the studio now in two weeks. They they did send out an email asking to kind of get a head count because I think a lot of people aren't showing up. And uh, they just gave you like a kind of a, hey, heads up. If you're not going into your studio, make sure your insurance knows. And uh, like you, you got to check in every once in a while just in case, you know. Um, yeah, especially because so the building think, had some interesting cats in it recently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I've, I've been working from home, working from the studio. I have a, uh, a punching bag in the studio, so I've been boxing every so often. Um, it's not nearly as engaging as going to a class with other people, though. I, uh, I'm really missing that. Um, and then my girlfriend lives uh, downtown as well, so I've kind of been jumping between those three locations and nowhere else. So that's about it. So an empty building, your house, by yourself or uh, with uh, your girlfriend. Uh, mm -hmm. So, mediumly responsible social distancing. We are uh, in the Kamichuk household. In the Kamichuk household, we're 100%. We have not really left the... Uh, we leave the yard to go bike riding, and that's about it. Mm -hmm. We had our groceries food? delivered. Um, ah. We're good for about a month now. We can we not have to leave the house for a month except for, like, exercise. Nice. So we're just doing. Well, how about you guys? Do you have a, a pretty set routine? Keep the sanity. So before spring, before spring break happened, which is this week, uh, we were keeping a pretty regular schedule of getting up early and doing schoolwork, and then exercise time and quiet time and quiet time and uh, schoolwork time were also code for uh, Tara and Gregory can do their work at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, so the kids would be busy, and then we would be busy. We've been more lax over the spring break, so that they, you know get up early, play video games, and that buys us the time. See, Tara and I both work essentially from home already. So it's not like our jobs ended, like a lot of people. Yeah. Right? We, we don't... You have more time to do your job. Yeah, we actually... And, and, in, and in some regards, more responsibilities. You know, like the stuff that I'm doing for uh, Arena City got bumped up. The stuff that I'm doing uh, for Good Boys got pushed back. Uh, so it's all a big jumble. But uh, and then I got this uh, this project this uh, project with the hospital, which meant that I pushed everything aside to uh, dig in and do my best to use comics to, you know, participate. Save the world. Yeah. Well, maybe not save the world, but at least, you know, because you you get caught up in feeling like you're not doing anything. Like you can't just sit at home and wait, but that is actually what you're supposed to do. So it gave me an outlet yeah. to say like, I'm doing something at least, at least it's uh, positively participating. I, uh, I recognize that like back years ago when, when I worked from home for a couple months between jobs, it was, uh, it was really weird. Like you could stay inside and be productive all day, but the fact that you stayed inside made you not feel great about it. Um, so I always like, if I was, if I was ever going to work from home again, I wanted to get a studio space away from home just to kind of alleviate whatever that is, that, that part of your brain that says staying at home is not being productive that I have, I needed to fix that. And that's, the studio has been very nice for that. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I miss that, but I can't, um, come and hang out with you and then come back to the family. So yeah, no, you have responsibilities. Yeah. How about you, Dan? Uh, 
routine uh, changes. Um, I struggle. I've always kind of struggled to get up in the morning. <laughs> it's been my, I'm, I'm more of a, a night owl. So when it comes to getting up early, but I've always done it. Like, you know, when I have to get up and go in for a class or go to work and I've always been able to do that. But now that I'm not having to go anywhere, I hit the snooze a little bit more, a little bit more and cutting a little close today. I had, I was out of the shower five minutes before my class started um so that's cutting it a bit close so wait but you're doing it online right so you're yeah so are you well like... I, i'm still like and we're doing it like this we're doing it like a video conference so i still have to be on a camera and, and be in front of the class but so you only speak. have to be dressed from basically like the mid, <laughs> mid that's right up that's right yeah so i'm wearing like a button-up shirt and that's it uh, no, I'm wearing, <laughs> usually sweatpants or something like that, something comfortable. Um, but uh, yeah, and so, but it's, I mean, the classes are going well. The students are in, in good spirits, I think, overall. And, and uh, you know, they're kind of picking up what I'm laying down and we're learning about, well, it's, it's weird. We're learning about the radio news. This is what I'm teaching about right now. And again, the world is so dominated by this thing that everything in the news is about this about this pandemic and it's hard for me to teach the lessons I want to teach. Like you have to order the stories a certain way. Like when you're doing a newscast, you put all your crime stories together, you put all your politics stories together. Now they're all about the same thing. So it's, it's difficult right. to do that. So, but yeah, overall the classes are going well. I cut, I cut it close some mornings, but I, I get there on time and uh, the kids are doing okay. When they announced here um, in Manitoba that there's not going to be any more school, like they're basically saying until further notice, that's it. Yeah. Um, my kids are like, yay, no more schoolwork. I'm like, no. <laughs> like, it's, it's, they're kind of almost, um, they're kind of uh, checked out a bit at this point. Totally. But yeah. so it's going to be challenging next. And yeah, we are in spring break as well. So next week, we'll get back into the routine of school. Well, work you know, and, and I've been thinking about that too. Uh, you know, I spent 10 years as a classroom teacher, and the skills that make a person a good classroom teacher do not translate well online in all cases. Yeah. Right? Your ability to connect with, sit down with, like have that real human bond with a person is strained by that, you know, sudden bureaucratic box ticking, assignment checking, email folder sorting. I feel for teachers that are in that position now where all the part that made their job fun has all turned into, you know, report cards are the worst part for most teachers. Yeah. And now every week is report cards. Well, now I'm, I'm sitting there going like, for me, the technology is really helping like this, doing this, using this, this video conferencing software and having the students all log on and, and be there. It is, it really is like a virtual class. It's like you see in the future, right? In the movies or TV shows where they all are on screens together. Um, that's what it's like. And I wish that we could do that for the, grade schools in the high schools but we just don't have enough computers i mean we could probably do it through phones maybe but i don't know it just seems like um it's hard to put that together well it's interesting because we got sent a uh, schedule from our teachers uh, our kids teachers and i sent back a email saying like you know it's fine and dandy for you to expect that our kids will do math at this time of day and do english at this time of the day but uh my wife and i are both working and there's not that many screens or computers in the house yeah so what do you do in that regards? And then the, both teachers were like, hey, listen, it's just a guideline. We're mandated by the province to give you this outline. But you as a parent are in charge of your own kid and your own time. So don't stress. Don't freak out. Don't panic. 
just do your best. Nobody knows really what this is going to look like at the end. Um, the only thing they did was they uh, mandated that the province couldn't fail anyone this year. Yeah. Essentially. Right. So, but I, 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 the only thing that concerns me is the lost knowledge. Like, it's just going to be like, so does it mean this is all a wash and we all start over again? Like, they got halfway through the school year. Okay, but um, I don't know what it's like at your house, but our kids have been learning about gardening, have been learning about chemistry, have been learning about cooking, have been learning about uh, finances and taxes and all the things that you don't, that we always wish were taught at school, they're actually learning about now. That's true. Actually, taxes are important. Right. So... <laughs> I didn't learn about that until I was an adult. Right. And I'm still learning. It's like, you know, trying to figure out all that <laughs> shit out, especially now. But, you know, I I really feel like between now and September, my kids are probably learning more useful things about their neighborhood and about their community and about their lives than maybe they've learned in the last year or two, just going for mm-hmm. rigorous school learning. And I can say that as an educator. How did you learn how to fight like that? My father, he had me study with a different sensei every year since I was five years old. Sounds like you wanted to turn you into some kind of a warrior. Dan, how's your uh, watching a movie from every year thing going? It's going well. I've, I've amended the rules because I stalled out oh. in 1981 and I couldn't find anything that I really wanted to watch. Like I, I have, And it'll still get easier as I go along because the more, like there just weren't as many movies released back then as there are now. Um, so there's a limited amount, so and I've seen most of the really good ones, so it's hard for me to choose. So 1981, I went a couple of days without watching. I'm still absolutely able to do this. I'm gonna have to pull a couple of uh, double features, which I can do no problem. Uh, so I was stalling out on 1981, and I was like, oh, I gotta watch something from 1981. And I'm like, what's the best movie that came out that year? And it's it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. So I basically watched oh, Raiders wow. of the Lost Ark just because I wanted, and it was awesome. It was just a great. Like, that's such a good movie, and it still holds up, and it's just all kinds of nostalgia and all kinds of stuff for that. So that was fun. Um, I did uh, – so now I'm on 1982, and I did come across – that was the year the first Swamp Thing movie. Was oh, no. Uh, and I have seen that one. That one is actually directed by Wes Craven. Uh, that's what? Something. Yeah, the first Swamp Thing movie was Wes Craven. Um, so I've, I have seen that one. So I will watch the sequel when I get to the 90s, whenever that was that was released. Um, but yeah, it's, you it's fun in for a treat. I can't wait. Like it's, it's again, and the, but the, here's the big, biggest frustration for me is that I cannot watch like the movie I would really like to watch from 1982 is first blood. Cause I've never seen it. Mm. Um, but I can't find that anywhere. You're talking about uh, Rambo. What's that? I'm talking about Rambo first blood. Yeah. Rambo first blood. Oh, it's so good. Um, I think we have it in the studio. Well, <laughs> can I come down and pick it up? Because well, if you don't mind catching COVID from Justin, then yeah, go get it. I'm sure I won't. <laughs> um, actually, one place I haven't searched is iTunes. Let me just quickly iTunes. I just, I was like, I just wish that these movies were like, you know, I, I sold off my DVD collection a long time ago. I didn't have, I never had this movie, but now I'm like, I wish I hadn't because a lot of stuff is not available on um, on streaming, right? So that's the only thing I would want to. Oh yeah, I can rent it. Okay, I can, never mind. I can rent it on iTunes. Yeah, I didn't, was, I didn't think to check iTunes. The history of uh, First Blood is actually interesting. Little soundbite there is that the original cut of the movie was so awful that everyone was sure it would be terrible, and even uh, Sylvester Stallone was like, "Oh god!" But then they had to do the press junkets for the film to promote it, and so he was telling everyone what a great film it was and how amazing and it's going to be so great. Uh, and then they recut it into the film that exists today. Uh, and so when he was at the premiere 
seeing the good version, he came out of it. And there's an interview soundbite somewhere that you can see where he looks legitimately surprised at how good the movie was. Right? He's like, that's a really great movie. Like, he just sounds so, <laughs> so surprised. But um, it's it's the only movie that has real human drama in it. Every other Rambo movie after that just becomes about his biceps and how many rounds of ammunition he can shoot. Yes. Um, the first one is, you know, a post-traumatic stress soldier hiding in the woods from society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, that's why, again, I have, and I have seen... Um, one that sticks out for me for some reason is Rambo Three. That's the one I remember seeing as a kid, um, and I've seen most of the other ones. But yeah, that's the one I would never. That's the one part of the part of the goal of this challenge is to fill in the gap of stuff I haven't seen, because uh, you know sometimes you just don't see it, and you never get around to it, and so that's that's definitely one of the movies I want to see. So I keep posting about that stuff on um, on Instagram. I noticed uh, Justin, you commented on one of my posts. I watched um, Battle Beyond the Stars. Um, oh yeah, last week. And that one was a shocker because it was surprisingly good. Right. Um, it's it's uh, really interesting. It's you know on the surface it looks like a Star Wars ripoff because it came out in like mm-hmm. 1978, and um, it, it it the the first ship you see looks very similar to the blockade runner uh, in Star Wars. Um, but that's the bad guy's ship. Um, what coincidence? Yeah, well, there's that, but it's actually uh, basically it's an adaptation of the Seven Samurai. Yeah, in space, so that's the story. And I'm like, okay, so they're just taking like they're going the same route as George Lucas, so they just adapted another Kurosawa film. Um, yeah, instead to, of Hidden Fortress, they opera. did Seven Samurai. Yeah, so it was fun. It was fun. It was like a lot of great kind of. You said the models were great. The, the, they were very very good um, for the budget. It was like a two million dollar movie, so super low budget, but but still really well put together until you realize that it did come out the same year as uh um what was the other one like close encounters or something like that like it was just so right not not as good as those other movies yeah for sure we've been digging into so the issue here at home with uh we have a big library and i have tons of graphic novels like so many but so many of them are to my taste as an adult Uh, so the kids can't dig into those in the same way it's just not appropriate so much of that work is not appropriate for a uh, right uh a nine and an 11 year old but so i went into the basement and dug up all my comics from when i was 10 11 12 13 and watching them dig into those stacks uh and i'm not like one of these collectors that tries to keep everything pristine right they open them up they take them out they read them if they get wrecked whatever the purpose of a book is for it to be read so uh watching them navigate things and these two sides of my personality that I see in each of my children, them gravitating to these two different types of books that are in the, in the list, in the, bo- in the long boxes, have been really kind of wild. But also, I have rekindled my love of old Valiant books. Uh, Jim Shooter, he was a problematic figure in comics, but man, those old Valiant books, so great. So great. Bullseye. One thing that I've been spending a lot of time doing in the last uh, 24 hours is studying all the different ways in which different artists from 19 sort of 70 to 1990 uh, rendered Daredevil's horns. Oh, interesting. There's a lot of weird horn math been going really? on in my sketchbook. Uh, but I've narrowed it down to like the best horn placements on Daredevil's mask are... <laughs> So, like, when you're drawing a face, right, you draw the oval, 
the eyes are always the middle of the eyes are always in exactly the middle of that oval the bottom of the nose is always halfway between the eyes and the chin and the middle of the mouth is always halfway between the nose and the chin uh, and daredevil's horns should always start halfway between the eye lines and the top of the head that's when it looks right anything I else see. doesn't doesn't work so high kind of like high up on the forehead type of thing it feels like that except that the head is curved right so that when you do it in three dimensions it comes out differently but yeah. then when i compared it to all the, the actual practical designs that were in the daredevil tv show uh it doesn't work at all like the daredevil <laughs> tv show almost gives him cat ears at the right angle, I realized. But so they're always shooting around it so that it comes off as devil horns. But at most angles, it would look like cat ears if you were drawing it that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's been really weird to look at all the different ways in which people... Like, there's clearly... A, there's a style guide. There's a, obviously a Daredevil style guide that Marvel has and you can get a hold of and you can look at. But um, just trying to figure out how to render something in my own style. Uh, because I really like heavy... Uh, doing heavy drop shadows and heavy blacks and all that kind of stuff. And so figuring out what the shadow is that will be cast by Daredevil's horns onto the face has been a bit of a bit fun and realizing that you just shouldn't. You shouldn't do it like real physics or real lighting because it always right. looks wrong. It doesn't look like Daredevil if you do it that way. And so looking at what everyone else has done from Gene Colan to Frank Miller to Dave Mazzuchelli, they just break the rules of how lighting works and just draw it the way they think it looks cool. Here's the question I've always had about Daredevil's costume. His eyes are covered, right? Correct. But it looks like he has eyes. Like his costume makes it look as though there's eyes there. Correct. Um, but is that because he doesn't want like the bad guys to know that he's blind? Correct. Yeah. Okay. It always kind of bugged me as a kid. I'm like, well, he's blind. Why does he need eye holes? Because in some ways it looks like he has eyes. They're just red. Yeah, because it's like, in, most, in a lot of the stories he uses to his advantage the fact that people think he's relying on sight. Right, because they, they fake, try to fake him out or something, yeah. and then he doesn't react to it. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and there are some great, there are some great, there are some incredibly nuanced and dramatic stories in the Daredevil arc, and there are some of the schlockiest, most terrible comics I have <laughs> ever read. I realize I collected them just out of loyalty back in the day. But fuck, are they awful? Some of them. I haven't. Yeah, I, I I also used to collect Daredevil, um, and it was it was he was up there. I really liked. Uh, I like his powers. I like kind of the idea behind what he's doing. Um, you know, it's very similar to Batman in a lot of ways. But um, how dare you, sir? <laughs> that is not even. Well, Batman doesn't have powers. Batman doesn't have any powers. That's not even. But... Daredevil has tons of powers. Number one. I know. Number two, yeah, yeah. Daredevil is a street level character. And number okay. three, Daredevil is not aware of his own failings hardly at all. W reading through it, I don't know if it was uh, in the early 80s, if maybe nobody realized the toxic masculinity that was going on. But Daredevil is the worst. He treats women so badly, oh, does so he? Oh. often, but not on purpose. Like he's trying to be noble. He's always like trying to be the noble hero, but he just has a string of the most like horrible relationships one after the other and is never aware it seems that he's the problem mm, right he's almost like it's right on the edge of nearly being in these abusive relationships with women who he's lying to them all the time and then when they finally find out he's daredevil he has a big screaming match with them telling them like he can't give it up it's like looking at it as an adult now i'm like whoa that is <laughs> that is not a healthy man 
That's what I like about it. Is yeah, that, sorry. I, I take that back. He's not like Batman. Yeah, back off. And he's a ninja. <laughs> Let's not forget Frank well, Miller's addition. Uh, but part of me wonders what would have happened. So he loses his eyesight. He gains these powers as a kid. And then, but like, he wouldn't he's have become trained Daredevil. trained by a ninja stick. master as a child. Yeah. So if he doesn't, if he doesn't get trained by stick, he doesn't become Daredevil basically, right? That, that, that's the thing that sets him apart. So would he have been trained even if he lost his, would he have been the same if he had not had his powers? Okay, so we want to go down this road. Battling Jack well, Murdoch, his, his dad. Yeah, well, I can compress this into a minute or two. Okay. Uh, his dad, the boxer, mm-hmm. right? He would have just, if you if he's not trained by a ninja master, he's still in his origin, puts on a crazy suit, goes and beats up some guys long before he's ever good enough to do that. Mm. So he might have been more of a... A street level Punisher style character. Ah, uh, I see. Okay, right. he was still would have done it, driven by the same motivations. So I think so. Yeah. Right. Okay. Interesting. So. Yeah, I can't wait to see what you come up with for this. It's going to be fun. I've mostly been having fun with trying to come up with a way in using the other thing that I always thought was missing in Daredevil comics is he hardly ever uses those cables that are in his uh, in his uh, fighting sticks. Mm-hmm. Uh, he only usually swings around on them, but he hardly ever uses them to like fight or strangle people you know i feel like that's a missed opportunity <laughs> so uh i've been trying to figure out creative ways to do that in a in a way that doesn't make you realize seem... you have to watch the ben um the the movie right ben uh, affleck movie oh i'm right there research. you know what okay. when i'm doing into my research i don't discriminate you take the good <laughs> with the bad and there was some good stuff in that ben affleck one not much but there's some good stuff there's some was good stuff. there and was there uh one thing they did well in that one was he got beat up a lot. And that's one of the things that I think is the best Daredevil stories are him getting beat up and again getting back up. Actually, I like Bullseye. thought he did a good job. Well, um, I yeah. Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell. Yeah, Colin Farrell. I like Colin Farrell in that movie. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, but. Uh, it's one. It's been a hard thing to not dive into, like you know, the classics. So it's like if you're going to do a Batman story, probably you're going to want him to fight the Joker, right? Like that's just what people do. So having uh, working on a Daredevil story where he doesn't fight Bullseye, which is like my first feeling, uh, and instead going back with the very f- the I think Daredevil number six is the oldest one I have in the run. Uh, uh, that one I haven't dug up out of the box yet, but it's in there. Um, and he fights the owl. It was like one of the first times that I actually got an old, like super old comic. And I was only maybe 12. And it was such a beat up bad version that the guy who ran the store let me have it for like 10 bucks or something. It was not, you know, to him, it, he probably felt like he was ripping me off. But to me, it was this like holy grail <laughs> piece of like, wow. To get in the single digits of a comic that's in the hundreds or two hundreds when you're a kid it was like a big deal. So... So my love of that issue, even though it wasn't particularly great, um, although I think Gene Colan did the art on it, is why I'm doing uh, why I'm doing my initial Daredevil story. And we're just doing, trying to be at least what I'm going to do for the art duties on is I'm not going to do a full 22 pages or anything like that. I don't have the time with everything else I have going on. I'm going to try and do a succinct four six page story that just feels like a trailer for something else, and then that will accompany our pitch that we're working on. Nice. So cool. I always I always enjoy those stories. Um, I don't know why this made me think of it, but just like types of, of stories with heroes when they can't 
go full hero. Like if Daredevil was like at a bank and the bank gets held up, but he's with somebody he knows. So he has to save everybody, but he can't just go change to change into his costume. He has to like solve the problem without giving away that he's a superhero. Yeah, there's this great sequence in uh, one of the Frank Miller Daredevils I was just looking at. It might be like 189 or something. Bullseye is like working in a morgue or like pretending to. And Matt Murdock mm-hmm. comes in and he's with Foggy and they're like checking out the crime, like the body of Elektra and like mourning over it. And Bullseye's throwing things at Matt Murdock from the shadows and he has to deflect and block them without anyone figuring out <laughs> what's, right, going on. what's going on. He has to like defend himself from this murderer in the shadows but also carry on his double life you're right those are challenging little bits of story um i don't think i have anything like that i'm going to try and do a straight up devil versus the owl um sequence the hardest part for me would be to do the matt murdoch parts the parts that freak me out if someone was like okay great do a daredevil miniseries for us getting matt and foggy right would be so hard for me Mm -hmm. um just because I'm not that invested in the lawyer side of the story at all. It's a nice bit of the character, but it's not part that excites me. So I'd have to figure out a way into that part. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hopefully Shridhar has got that figured out because uh, we're collaborating on the story, but uh, we're just trying to have as much fun as possible. Well, I think we've reached the end of our time. Dan, you have another podcast to record right yeah. away, don't you? You want to give it a plug? Yeah, uh, yeah it's called uh, Games You Deserve. Uh, it's going to be out uh, April 12th is when our first episode is dropping. And this is done in uh, collaboration with Special Reserve Games. It's all about video games and it's going to be a lot of fun. We're um, yeah, so recording cool. our third episode today. Awesome. So it's gonna be, How's it really been going? Cool. It's going well. Yeah, we're great. Super nice guys. We're collaborating on the intro and and the different transitions and stuff. We're trying to make it, you know, like a, not not the same as the the audio production I do here, but something along the same lines is trying to we're trying to create um, the audio experience of a video game. <laughs> kind of thing oh that's in the podcast so using things like uh, sounds from an arcade or from a video game system and and that kind of stuff so well i look forward to hearing it um and i'll try not to feel jealous of anything cool you do on that podcast (laughs) okay we'll do a a crossover at some point all right yeah that's awesome all right well this has been super pulp science thanks for uh reaching out to my bunker gentlemen i uh, look forward to talking to you again next week and i encourage everyone who's listening not to give up hope and join the fight and make comics